Welcome to the Future That Works podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lim. In this episode, we look at how in a post-COVID world, we have adapted and built resilience and how we best support our people so they can do their best work with our guest, Aaron McEwen. Aaron is the VP of Research and Advisory at Gartner, where he advises and coaches senior executives to innovate their HR strategies and challenge standard practice by harnessing data and insights derived from the world's leading companies. Aaron is also recently named a top 100 global HR influencer by Engagedly, a fellow of the Australian Human Resources Institute, a columnist for Inside HR, and serves on the National Committee for the Australian Psychological Society's Interest Group in Coaching Psychology. He teaches in the Masters of Organizational Coaching program at the Sydney Business School and advises tech startups, of which my startup played a lead, is so lucky to have him guide us from nearly the beginning. Aaron is an honorary associate of, at Macquarie University and has guest lectured at the University of Queensland, Griffith University and the Australian College of Applied Psychology. His passion for great ideas is not limited to the corporate world, having spent 10 years writing and performing original music where he has learned that creativity, authenticity and human connection sit at the heart of great songs and great performances. Aaron works flexibly between Sydney and his home office in Newcastle where he lives with his partner and two small children. Welcome, Aaron. Welcome. <laughs> I should, uh, shouldn't say welcome when somebody uh, says that, should I? Oh, is there a right or wrong? <laughs> so it's the end of the week. I'm curious, since you've been working from home well before COVID, what changes have you experienced with lockdown and how have you responded to it? I mean, it, it seems like it's been such a long year and there's so many different parts to the year. So it, it's, it's probably difficult to capture all in, in a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think this is probably one of the, the hardest working years of my career that I can remember. Partly that's because I do support heads of HR and, and have been supporting them around their response to COVID-19 ever since the beginning. But it's also because just the pace of work has just really increase and I think the shift to remote work while I've been doing it for some time I think because it became normalized very very quickly we didn't really have a lot of the disciplines in place to, to manage the boundaries of remote work so you know if ever work and life has become blurred it, it's been this year. And has that settled down a bit I mean do you find yourself working longer and experiencing more stress like what we've heard in the reports so far or even zoom fatigue bouncing from one meeting to another yeah definitely all yeah. yeah i think you know i'm probably no different to every other employee out there probably working i think the the data would say that on average employees are working between two and four hours longer mm. i think i'm beginning to get a little bit of a balance as i concentrate more you know personally on on setting more boundaries but yeah, definitely, definitely working longer hours, definitely working harder. It's uh, the intensity of the work, I think, it is harder. Thank goodness we're no longer homeschooling our children. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most stressful periods of, of my working life that I can remember. Yeah, I bet. Were you, did you have to be tech support as well? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> although I have to say, my wife, she bore the the brunt of that being on a, on a part-time model, it just worked out that way. But yeah, I think she did a lot harder than I did, but mm. certainly I experienced a period of kind of profound stress. It was, mm. yeah. 
and working from home and um, being able to see what goes on for all members of the family and juggling <laughs> your workload as well as your team, what 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 insights did you get about what really happens both inside teams in their homes, but also in your home? I think the biggest insight is just how quickly life and work can blur. I do think and the data certainly supports this as well, that, you know, employees have been struggling with work-life balance for more than a decade. Mm. And there was that very brief moment that I often refer to as the great pause. It was probably between March and April of this year where mm. the world kind of stopped for a moment as we first went fully remote. Mm. And I think personally for somebody that has been working you know, probably about 80% remotely for the best part of the last uh, three years or so. It was kind of great when everyone else was in the same boat mm. because the challenges of remote work were suddenly normalised. Mm. There was empathy around, mm. you know, sometimes how challenging it, it can be. Mm. But at the same time, it, it's also a great model for working because it does allow you to balance your work and life mm. more effectively. Until everyone, you know, kind of got their head around Zoom and mm. uh, all of the other virtual communication tools and meeting tools. And then, then what we started to find was that it was almost like the old ways of working were superimposed over this completely different model. Mm. And I think what happened then was, and, and I'll, say, I'll just speak personally, you know, I'll own this myself, what, what I really struggled was where the boundaries were. You know, I think we've all been kind of used to jumping on calls at 10 o'clock at night, but all of a sudden the calls were back to back, mm. you know, eight or nine hours solid, mm -hmm. um, but you were still doing all of the other things that you were doing prior to, to, to work becoming quite so intense. Mm. And, you know, part of that is just the, I think the, the nature of when you're in a work environment like an office there are these kind of natural breaks, whether it's walking up the stairs to the next meeting or mm -hmm. going out for a coffee or catching up with people in, in the corridors. Mm -hmm. All those things created both physical and cognitive breaks for people. Mm -hmm. Whereas because now none of that exists, if you don't create it yourself, mm -hmm. work will fill the vacuum very, yeah. very quickly. And I think that's what we've seen. I, I've certainly saw that with myself until I started to set some personal boundaries, but we saw that widespread across workforces all over the world. Did you also see, whether it be at client meetings or with your teams, where there might have been an initial struggle of wanting to get through the day and get through your agenda and trading that off from, say, the social need of connecting first? Yeah, I, I, and if I understand your question correctly, it kind of gets to this point, you know, did we prioritise the social mm -hmm. and the connection? Mm -hmm. I don't think we did in mm -hmm. the pre-COVID world. Mm -hmm. It was more, more of a consequence of... Of walking to the meeting together. Exactly. Yeah. Physically mm -hmm. located. I mean, yeah. who doesn't want to go for a coffee with, with colleagues when you first arrive at work? Yeah. But of course, what do we do now? We have that coffee sitting in front of our, our desks, probably right on the bell of 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, because we've just been able to avoid even putting decent clothes on. 
<laughs> you know, so it's um, and 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 it's kind of a funny thing. One of, one of the things I reflect on, and I have reflected on this a lot during COVID nineteen, is you know you, you mentioned in the intro that you know I was in a band for many years. So the the bass player in my band, because we were all at university when we were doing this, um, he he happened to be doing his master's degree in this kind of brand new field, and it was called leisure studies. And so leisure studies came about because there was this idea that as technology became more and more advanced, that we would actually have all of this free time and we would need dedicated professionals to help us use it effectively. Mm -hmm. And I just look back on that and think none of that came to pass. I mean, we just got busier and busier and busier. And I think one of the things that that taught me is that Work will fill in any cracks that you let it. Yes. So if you create a vacuum, it will creep in. And, and in fact, what's happened is that because technology now uh, uh, enables us to work around the clock if we chose to, from anywhere if we chose to, it actually has more opportunities to sneak into our work life, into mm. our personal life than it ever has. And so that's the real danger. And, you know, the, the, the other big danger, of course, is that we're, you know, this isn't just a health crisis, this is an economic crisis. And so people are actually genuinely and, and with good reason their job security. So in the context of that, people are struggling to set boundaries. Yes. So the, the big danger of all of this, is, of course, is that we wake up in, in two years' time and the world is completely changed and there's a new level of busyness mm. which will be associated with, and we're already seeing the early signs of this, mm. you know, a, a new wave of mental health issues. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, but, and likely burnout. Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah. I think the reason that you and I are having this conversation is that we were initially talking about executives kind of mm. thinking personally about their own mental health. Yeah. And so a couple of things happened this year. The World Health Organization officially classified burnout as a real thing. So it's now recognized. And, mm -hmm. and I would imagine that as we get to the end of this year, certainly based on the conversations that I've had with mm -hmm. You know, hundreds and hundreds of HR executives and, and, and employees, a lot of people are probably experiencing burnout right now. Mm. They're right in the middle of it. And, and unfortunately, it goes, it's underreported, it's underdiagnosed, and it shows up in a whole bunch of other ways. If you're leading a business, many businesses, the fourth quarter of the year, mm. absolutely critical for their mm. you know, top and bottom line. Yeah. And I do worry that as we get closer to the end of that quarter, that we're actually going to see people having less to give at the mm. very time that they need to give the most. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's at the same time also typically in planning cycles that you're planning for the next year. So the ability to think clearly and be realistic about the resources and the ability of the team to deliver, it might be like we need to reduce our, our targets because both of internal and external realities. Yeah, all of those things. And, and, and again, the reason I came on this podcast was to talk about this as a person, mm. not, not as a you know, representative of a company or anything mm -hmm. like 
that or as an expert in this field, but just as, mm. as an employee who is impacted by these mm. things, I do have to go into planning cycle and I don't feel like I've got a lot of mm. fluidity right now. So I'd imagine I, I'm not the only employee that feels that way. Yeah. Mm. I remember an earlier conversation we had in planning for this podcast. Mm. We were talking about the internal resources you drew to, even though you were quite familiar with working from home, but the realities of your wife working from home and, and being at home with her kids of homeschooling. At some point, you noticed that you needed to top up. So do you want to share with us what that process was like for you and what you did? Yeah, and I wish I could say that I was like across it. <laughs> you know, I, I am a psychologist. I should know these things. Um, but but I think I learned kind of, you know, the penny dropped later than it than I would have liked it to have dropped. Because I think again, I'll go back to that period between, you know, March and April. I was taking the kids for a walk every day, mm. getting exercise. I was like working out in the park. Everything kind of was just really nice. There were mm. butterflies everywhere. <laughs> um, and then I just kind of woke up out of the fog, you know, sometime in August, I think, and just kind of went, this is the least amount of movement I've ever done. Like I've never been this stationary, you know, like my, exercise habits had gone out the window not that they were ever great anyway but they became really really bad I've probably never ordered so much Uber Eats in my life <laughs> whereas you know I'd usually do cooking you know like three or four times a week and and, and so I just I, I kind of had this moment where I'm like this is the stuff I talk to my clients about every single day and I'm like this is not a sustainable model of mm. work um, and particularly given the complexity um, that, that we're all kind of working through at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it was a, a, a kind of a, I guess, you know, everyone has those occasional moments of insight where I was just like, yeah, I've got to do something a little bit different. I should have probably exercised, but that's that wasn't the first reaction. In fact, it was something a little bit different. And it, and it didn't really happen until you know September October-ish but one of the local cinemas and I've always been a you know a huge fan of cinema they they started allowing people to come and watch movies and they were replaying classic films you know so I've always been a huge fan of you know the, the kind of classic sci-fi and and those types of things. So Alien was playing. <laughs> I, I just went along. You know, I didn't quite know what to expect. I, I'd actually, funnily enough, I, I really didn't enjoy the movies, you know, going to the cinema. Why was that? 12 months ago. Well, it was always crowded and you couldn't yeah. see your seat and you had to pay uh, oh, yes, yes. for popcorn. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. It's kind of annoyed me, right? Uh -huh. um, but I found myself bit like sitting alone in this yeah. theatre. Yeah. Um, watching, you know, one of my all-time favorite films. Yes, I did pay a little bit too much for the popcorn, but it was such a such a moment of, of solitude, mm. and, you know, selfish alone time that just felt really luxurious and um, mm. soothing. Mm. So, you know, that that just kind of taught me, and, and it and it kind of it made me reflect upon something that. I had noticed, but I didn't quite put a, I don't know, put a, put a handle on it. Mm -hmm. That was that prior to COVID, I probably spent more time in, in the Qantas lounge than I spent mm -hmm. anywhere else. You know, like I was mm -hmm. a platinum frequent flyer. I was always traveling. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't realise how much I missed being on a plane. Mm -hmm. And not to sit there uncomfortably eating bad food, but to have moments of respite where you couldn't be contacted and Mm. no one wanted your attention. And of course, the other thing you know that traveling gives you is like the occasional night luxurious hotel away from the children mm-hmm. um, so I also decided that I, I would take my own little mini holiday it was work related but you know I was able to kind of go to a hotel and get away it happened to be when I was renovating the house so I actually needed to mm-hmm. and that would be my other big lesson is you do not do a house renovation in the middle of a global pandemic of remote work it's just not a great (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about what you said about finding that respite did you also learn more about yourself in terms of your optimal time of work and how you worked and then whether your the rest of your team or your clients also had that same aha and was there any adjustments so that you can work more optimally given newer demands potentially yeah it's a really interesting one and sometimes personal insight gives you an added layer of empathy because what's interesting is i've actually been writing about this stuff for about three years and talking about the future of work is essentially about optimizing the the performance of human beings. And so I've written a lot about the fact that, you know, technology will very quickly tell us that everyone has their own personal um, optimal zone. Mm -hmm. The the coaching literature is is well across this. We've known about it for for years. And then as this remote working started to unfold, you could just see where it, it was becoming real very, very quickly. Yeah, so so it was kind of interesting for me that I that I learned that I'm probably more of a morning person than I thought I was mm-hmm. in terms of my optimal functioning. Like mm-hmm. I was finding that by the time I got to the late afternoon, I I was spent. Mm-hmm. Now part of that I think is you can't sprint for a whole day, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, remote work lends itself to a sprint, not a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at the same time, I also found that as a parent of two young children, I have to kind of work around a traditional model. I never would have thought I was a traditional worker. I've always thought of myself as being somebody who just works when the work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But what I found was that getting the kids to school and, and picking them up and feeding them, just those things meant that a kind of more traditional nine to five was the model that worked for me whereas I had options because of the nature of the work that I do I could literally choose any set of hours to work mm. and and so I think that was one of the the kind of key insights for me is that I used to think about this challenge as simply matching the work that needs to be done to the time and location that is optimal for that individual worker mm-hmm. And I thought about it more from their own kind of internal functioning. But I'm much more cognizant that this is a, a holistic and systemic issue. Mm-hmm. You know, whilst I might enjoy working at 10 o'clock, you know, like I kind of need to be around at seven. <laughs> you know? So that has a limitation on even my own views of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that organizations will grapple with because society hasn't kind of shifted away from 
the way it runs. Yes. And so like, if you want to get a customer service challenge sorted out, then you still kind of have to do that between. You know, yes. Nine, yeah. Yes. So that'll, that'll be an interesting one. So, but again, it, it's something that reinforces a, a view that I have about many things, which is more of a systemic and interconnectedness of, of multiple systems need to be considered. Mm. Mm. So you mentioned both the internal resources of looking after yourself and making sure you get the respite you needed and then the external resources. Luckily, you had control over um, what you did and when you did it. Were there any other external resources that uh, you were able to draw on or that you would like to draw on that you haven't yet? Yeah, I think I moved to... So I moved from Brisbane to Sydney about 10 years ago and then moved from Sydney to Newcastle about three years ago. So, and then, of course the travel restrictions came into place. So what I became, you know, acutely aware of was that most of my circles of friends and family to a degree are all a long way away and we can't be together. Mm. We were very lucky that, you know, Christmas of last year, my mother made the decision to, to come and move into our granny flat um, whilst oh. young because she, she lived in central Queensland so it was becoming increasingly difficult to to kind of travel out there yeah um, so that was like a godsend on yeah many levels yeah I'm just eternally grateful for the support that she's been able to give mm. but I do kind of acutely miss my circle of friends and one of my annual rituals is a ski trip mm. um, you know with my brother and, and a couple of friends uh, and of course, that didn't happen this year. That was the first year in a decade or something where we hadn't done it. And I just really missed that mm. um, for, for many reasons. It's the connection piece, but it's also what that kind of, you know, mm -hmm. five days in the snow represents. It's, a, yeah. it's kind of um, more than just a, a ski trip. It, it, it's a place of reconnection. And I still don't know quite what to do about that yet. So... I'm not sure. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it would be worked out. Yeah. What about your hobbies, your music? Have you been able to do like virtual gigs? No, I haven't done a lot of music apart from playing the Wiggles for the kids for a anyway. <laughs> but there was a there was a brief moment, and and I guess this is a great demonstration of this core point, where I did restring all of my guitars and and started playing again and it felt really good and I have been reconnecting with music as a listener as well but then I found I was just exhausted mm. you know like from work um mm. and, I, and like what may have when I had a little bit more space felt like almost like a soothing thing to get engaged with now feels almost like a chore mm. and I think you know this is the biggest one of the biggest threats to organization productivity in the future of work is that the work that we need to do in the future is is absolutely human work it's creative it's about innovation it's about social connection it's about all of these things that at least at this point the robots can't do very well mm. and we are so much better at those things when we are whole and complete human beings you know with time to be with friends, time to be with family, time to be with interests and hobbies, whatever they might be. You know, being able to indulge in those things that make you human. If we don't 
so so this kind of gets to something I have been talking about a lot in the context of HR leaders is that the post-COVID world I think is going to be very much about work-life separation. And it's really interesting to start to see some trends starting to, to kind of emerge where, <coughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it this way. I met my partner, my wife at work, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends through work and work is a place of meaning that you know human beings derive a lot of meaning from which is why there's you know why we've been so obsessed with things like culture because it kind of represents all of these things but the thing about the shifts that we're seeing under undergoing we're seeing our society undergo are that people are reconnecting with things like family like their gardens their pets their hobbies and so they're reconnecting with their communities in a different way and their relationships with their companies are becoming a little bit more transactional you know if you're not if you're not spending those you know having coffee with your colleagues they just become one of many digital interactions you know like that we have every mm. so there's nothing particularly special about it um and so I do wonder whether I can probably hear my dog in the background. <laughs> that dog gives me more stress than what I'm doing these days. Um, oh, the joys of having having one of them. Yeah, so I do think that there is this kind of shifting away from work as the centre of our meaning and our identity and our social connection. Mm. That's a really interesting thing. Mm. And so what I suspect that will do is a couple of things. We're, we're, we're already seeing people reacting in a way that kind of says, yes, I, I need to create boundaries between work and life because it's too blurry mm. and it's not good for us. Mm. Um, and I think organisations will know that they risk things like productivity and performance and at the more extreme workers' comp claims mm. and start creating separation but at the same time i think society is undergoing a separation from work which is going to be really interesting so you know to me i see that this is going to be one of the bigger opportunities slash challenges that we have to tackle in the 21st century is the is work-life separation and how we deal with it yeah Absolutely. I think the data on what people's regrets when they die is fundamentally about their families and relationships. Um, Yeah, and COVID has really shone a light on the fact that we've been neglecting those things. Mm. And, you know, like if I think about just my own personal reflections, there was a time where in my head I probably did put work ahead of family ahead of my own health ahead of so many things because like you didn't even question it it's just like like i'm a professional like that's that's what we do right Mm. Uh, i'm a frequent flyer like (laughs) i'm a busy person i'm so important um Mm. and i just i look back on it now and i and i think how not only how foolish you know but how arrogant (laughs) but also just how how ridiculous that notion is that that work should be the core focus of, yeah. of your life. Um, yeah. That's no surprise, right? Like I'm not I'm not revealing any 
like profound philosophical um, insight here. Like smart people have known this stuff for uh, millennia. Yeah. Um, but it was just interesting to me on a personal level how COVID-19 kind of mm. did the veil on that and made yeah. it so obvious. And I suspect that I'm probably not alone in, in rethinking some of those things or reevaluating what they mean. Absolutely. And whether that insight comes, so if I take a t- typical young p- parent of young children, whether that insight comes whilst you're at the beginning of that journey, because that time is so precious, or it comes at the end and then there's that regret. And it's a regret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when, when, if you have that insight, whether you take that insight and have more empathy with your teammates that are in that somewhere in that journey. And so whether then you, if you have the ability because you're a leader to then be more flexible so that you can actually get the best out of them. Well, I, and I think that's kind of the point I'm making is that I would say prior to COVID-19, it was a bit of a potluck. You know, if you got a leader that got that, mm-hmm. you were probably a productive and engaged uh, employee and pretty happy. If you didn't, yeah. we know the data, you were out the door or thinking about it, right? Yeah, yeah. What I hope comes out of this is that it isn't a potluck anymore. Mm. No, it isn't this kind of, oh, I'm so lucky to have landed with a manager or a CEO or a leader that, understands that work should be more human Mm. (laughs) see like even as i say that it sounds ridiculous that that i have to actually formulate those words and describe it that way Mm. Mm. Um, and so that that i think has been how can i say this there are there's this notion of once you know something you can't unknow it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you could almost say that that's very similar to the physical world of of phase transitions or you know flipping points right yeah i feel like that's where we're at yeah yeah you know, in the when it comes to the world of work it's it's almost this phase transition that's happened very very quickly due to a catalyst which was COVID 19 mm-hmm. it was already underway yeah um, i just can't see employees unknowing mm-hmm the insights that they had during that period. And, and that's going to have a profound impact on the future of work. Absolutely. And the, the resources that get unlocked, I think about when I return to work as after my maternity leave, mm. you know, when you think about how you help that person return back to work, I think that's going to fundamentally change because more male leaders and more male colleagues truly understanding what it takes to run a family and how they want to co-create that with their partners. And and it's, you know, it's not just the empathy of what a difficult job it is and how unfair it is. It's also the fact that they got to spend real time with these little human beings. Mm -hmm. And, and I've said this to, you know, to, to many HR leaders, I think some of the biggest changes we're about to be we're about to see will be driven by young fathers mm. um, who will refuse to work in the same way that many many of us did. Toxic masculinity has been under enormous pressure for a while now, so this is just to me uh, another part of that unraveling, um, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is hopeful when you think about the elements that can be changed. It does take courage though to, for example, 
say no and not check your emails. I mean, that was already the case with technology uh, allowing the accessibility of response times, but now even more so because you're actually at home <laughs> to actually say no and say, I'm actually, I'm going to have dinner device free with my family and choose or not choose to go back to work after dinner. It's, it's yeah. really up to you. Yeah. And I think this is the bit that represents the big risk and the big opportunity. The big the big opportunity is that we grasp this moment and mm. our employees to be able to make those calls and those judgments. A really interesting example of this was I was having a conversation with um, like a head of strategy for a, for a company that does a lot of work, has a lot of call centers. And you could arguably say that, you know, call centers are the, you know, 21st century version of a factory. Mm-hmm. You know, they're heavily controlled. Everything is monitored and run. And so, how do you transform a call center in the age of radical flexibility, right? Some of the things that are being experimented with out there get to this point of management, you know, self-management. And and so one of those things is even in a heavily controlled um, environment like a call center, having the ability to kind of press a tap out button Mm -hmm. is basically just saying, look, I've just taken five really heavy phone calls in a row I've been yelled at I've been abused I've been called names yeah um, for the next like 25 minutes just send me change of address yeah but, you know, yeah. You know? yeah and I think that's just a beautiful little mini example of what work could be yeah if human beings are workers are given the autonomy to say I'm actually not in a great headspace or energy level to do this thing that's really important to our customer yeah can we reroute this work or can I do this work at a different time when I'm in a better space? And that just could be that I've got 15 minutes before I have to get the kids from school and I don't want to feel that pressure of needing to wrap a call up and get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that cognitive dissonance that you feel where it's like you're letting multiple people down. That's the kind of stuff that causes real anxiety and issues at work. So we've got this beautiful moment where we've got an opportunity to actually design work in that way. Yes. Um, the big risk, though, is that we're going to say, well, that's kind of up to you as an employee. Mm. That's the big risk. Because mm. in the middle of an economic downturn, no one's going to push back and say no. Correct, yeah. Only those who feel empowered to um, will do that. Yeah. And then we might end up going, well, nobody really wanted it. You know, so, so I think the real thing we're going to have to grapple with is whose responsibility is this? Mm. And we have to recognise that it is a shared responsibility that we all live in systems. And so part of this is going to be about employees learning the skills and the discipline of effective, flexible work. But it's also got to be about employers changing their systems and their processes and their expectations in such a way that it meets their employees there. Mm. If those two things don't happen together, this could be an unmitigated disaster. And, you know, you and I will be sitting here 20 years from now talking about, remember that time when we thought that the future of work was going to be blah, 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 just yeah. like you know, the bass player from my band who did a master's degree in, <laughs> in, in our leisure studies. I worry about that potential future if we don't grasp this moment. 
If you, if you think about systemic changes that's happened in organizations over the last hundred years. So yeah. Yeah. you had sexual harassment training happen off the back of uh, a compliance angle, right? <laughs> but really that was 20 something years ago, but really until it blew up with the Me Too movement, you didn't really have the momentum and the outrage really came from fear of more lawsuits. So as much as I like to say that organizations and leaders understand the benefits of whether it be inclusivity or respect or common human decency and respect, the reality is, is that it's this big, nasty stick that comes to get you that provides yeah. you know, momentum for more systemic change. Do you think that it's the same here where it would take a nasty accident to happen before people wake up and say, we actually need to stop this before we get regulated? Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's also the reason that I'm, I'm actually optimistic that this is going to work out the right way. Because mm-hmm. the reason I say that is that all it's going to take is one person having a mental breakdown mm. or a stroke mm. or a heart attack on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm at seven o'clock at night Mm. and once that happens and it is inevitable because we you know as employees globally are working longer with less breaks they're more sedentary than they were before and this was already a risk right yeah so if we don't do something about it that moment will come and when that comes it will become an issue for our heads of risk and our heads of compliance and it will be organizations will find it difficult to get the type of insurance protection that they need. And the the reason that I say it will happen very quickly is that the other thing about remote work is that remote work almost invariably is done in front of a computer Mm -hmm. with a webcam Mm -hmm. and the microphone Mm -hmm. and that every meeting that employee employees are having are logged if not mm-hmm. recorded yeah. and so you can just imagine like i'm not a legal expert but let's say somebody does have a stroke and they put in a workers compensation claim mm-hmm. and very quickly you go well when was the employee what would, what was that employee doing at that moment and what were they doing you know for the seven hours before that moment and yeah. etc et and then what were they doing for the past month and and the interesting thing today is that we have that data Mm. and because we have that data it means that it's available and it is subpoenable Mm -hmm. uh, which means that there's no hiding behind the idea of well you know what employees choose to do in their own home is entirely their responsibility well not anymore Mm. so ironically it might be the fact that we've had this moment of remote work that actually um, accelerates a shift towards a more human work, a more human work environment for a lot of reasons. But if if the major cause of that is fear of lawsuits, well, Mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. As long as we we avoid the the accident that would cause the lawsuit. Yes, true. But smart companies will get ahead of this curve because I wouldn't want to be uh, like you, you could just kind of imagine, you know, you open up a company website 
and it has, you know, instead of a big six foot sign at the front gate on the website, it has a little sticker that says, you know, it's been uh, 365 days since we had our last mental health issue. Mm, yeah, yeah. Not like at construction sites. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Psychological safety is now, yeah. as, well, as has been as important, but it's been yeah. taken as seriously as, as, as physical. And, yes. and, you know, what happened when physical safety became an important thing is that it transformed the way that work was done in those heavy industry and mining environments. So we're now at the very beginning of the same transformation within white collar work. Um, so it'll be as profound. Like today, every meeting starts with a mental health moment. Yes. You know? Everyone is wearing some sort of trackable device that makes sure that you aren't sitting on seven Zoom calls in a row, mm-hmm. um, not placing yourself and your colleagues or your customers at any at particular risk. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly confident and optimistic that this is actually the direction that we're, we're going. Yeah, because the tools are definitely out there. Oh, they're, they're totally. They're, yeah, they're, like I, one of the things yeah. even before COVID I was, I had kind of predicted was the glass door of the future mm-hmm. wouldn't be like Yelp ratings, right? Mm-hmm. But rather it would be aggregated smartwatch data. So you just go on and you say, I want a list of the companies that have the lowest resting heart rate. Yeah. Companies that have the happiest employees or the employees that get the most amount of sleep. Um, And then, by the way, can you factor out any company that has a carbon footprint above X? And if they donate to these political parties, I don't want them in the ESC either, right? Yes. And I I thought that was a a long way off, you know, like a five to seven year-ish thing. But I happen to be talking to to somebody recently whose uh, partner is a cybersecurity contractor mm-hmm. and uh he said actually yeah you know my wife's been tracking how much sleep and exercise she gets on different contracts and that's how she determines which ones she's going to renew that's cool so you know it's already happening it's just yeah. having that aggregation level yes but it you can tell that it's tapping into people recognizing that work and life is interconnected and and we have to think of them more holistically yeah Absolutely. Thank you. That was, uh, that was so many, much insights there in terms of how you've adapted to this COVID world. And it's also nice to end on a really hopeful note of how technology can actually enable us to have the life that we actually want so that we can be our best selves at home and at work. Thank yeah, you so well, much. Actually, I think that's what's going to happen is the robots are going to say, what are you what are you people doing like this is the worst possible way to work if you could be at your maximum capacity uh, or maximum potential i should say that's part of the problem is that we we run people to capacity absolutely i am pretty hopeful but you know as a human being i i feel like i've got quite a quite a lot more to learn and and to adapt and change for myself to meet that future absolutely ditto (laughs) thank you Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for a very honest and raw account of the last year as an executive, husband and father, and for your insights on what is possible for the future of work. And thank you listeners for listening to this Future That Works podcast episode. 
Join me in this podcast series as we explore with our guests who are business leaders and experts in their field, their personal stories of both their successes and their failures. These leaders embody not just the IQ, but the emotional intelligence that has fueled them and their teams to find and fulfill their purpose. My intention is that these conversations are real and helps us with unlocking our full potential as human beings at work and at home. Please subscribe to our podcast at bit.ly slash future that works and email me as I'd like to know from you who you'd like to see as guests and what questions you'd like me to ask. You can email me at Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, at playtolead.co. That's P-L-A-Y number two L-E-A-D dot co with your feedback and questions. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found some actionable tips you can do right away. Check out getplaytolead.com to see if you'd like to take your team through a 30-day challenge or any of our gamified emotional intelligence microactivities. The greatest compliments you can give us is to refer this podcast to a friend. Please leave us an awesome review on iTunes or Spotify. Our next episode will be with Catherine McLennan, who is a psychotherapist and leadership facilitator, having been in senior leadership roles, leading teams and guiding clients at organizations including Booz Allen, Commonwealth Bank, QBE Insurance, Cochlear University of Technology, and the Export Finance Insurance Corporation. Catherine will be sharing with us her lived experience on how she has managed her mental health and how she has learned to be more self-aware and vulnerable as she brings her whole self to work.